to Real Conversations, where we cover a wide range of topics. I'm your host, T-Mac, and my co-host, John. John, how are you? Uh, good, T-Mac. Uh, thanks yourself. I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. And today, we've got a great guest. He's a veteran of the corporate world. He's going to give us his insights on the corporate world, world as it is today. So we welcome Luigi to Real Conversations. How are you going, Luigi? Yeah, hi, thanks, T-Mac. Thanks. Yeah. Hi, John. Uh, hi, hi, Luigi. Thanks for joining well. us. We are. This is our first ever uh, podcast, I guess. So it's pretty special, uh, Luigi. So thanks for joining. So yeah, but, oh, um, I, I feel feel privileged, guys. Thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you. Lots of thanks. But um, Luigi, can you give us <laughs> your corporate career rundown, perhaps, just to see where you know where you've come from in your co- corporate career? Just an overview. Sure, sure. Just um, just even even before I got into my corporate life, um, I actually had to, I went through uh, La Trobe Uni, so I ended up doing a, a degree and I majored in uh, like a, a computing and that, that enabled me to actually, as part of the um, corporate world, actually coming on site to, to unis to interview uh, pr- pr- prospective graduates to start. Um, a number of uh, corporates came on site and I ended up attending a few few different interviews with them and I, I ended up picking the, the Big T, the Big Telstra, as my choice of um, employment. Uh, and it was subject it was subject to me obviously finishing my, my degree because they came out um, uh, roughly mid-year and did this their graduate campaigns. So there, there were accounting firms, there were other... Um, like Ernst and Young came out, um, Price Waterhouse, uh, Telstra, the the um, there were state government organisations too that, that that came out to and and the power power companies. So, but I, I ended up liking what I heard about Telstra, and I said, you know, if if I'm successful, I'd, I'd like to join you guys. So I did. So I started as a graduate uh, uh, intake person with, with, with Telstra and I started programming. So I was a, actually a programmer. So I started programming on uh, a couple of the mainframe systems. So that's, that's where, where it all began. So I know, I know I can't go through all of it, but basically from there, uh, what, what attracted me to Telstra was that it, it actually was a smorgasbord of IT. It had so many diverse uh, platforms at, at the time that I started, and that, that was one reason why I chose them. And they were happy to. I'm glad they picked me as one of the intake. So I started off as a programmer, but then I, I, they actually had a bit of a career path for you. For example, you'd go into you start as a programmer, then you'd become an analyst, programmer, team leader, project leader. And then eventually you could start being like an IT manager. So that's that's actually what I that was the path that I ended up taking through through my uh, corporate career. So uh, I managed uh, over time, you know, each each jump in responsibility uh, took. Sometimes it would take it could be relatively quick. It could be within uh, within a year. Other times, depending on the level that you were trying to aspire to could have taken two years um so so basically i um went through my my career uh that way 
I was going to ask you, Luigi, in terms of right now, I've ran a few trainee programs myself in, a, in past corporate lives, and it was very, very competitive. We could only take about 12 uh, trainees or graduates, if you want to call them, and they had to have a wide range of skills. They had to come ready, kind of hit the ground, red, um, hit the ground running type of thing. Was that like it was back then? Like, are we talking in the nineties or the eighties yeah. type of thing? Yeah, it was in the nineties that, that, that yeah. this all happened for me. So yeah. it, it it was competitive. That like they looked at obviously how I was doing academically, but also the the course that I did. They'd taken previous graduates from from La Trobe Uni, and they were happy with how they could actually with the course curriculum itself. It actually prepared. Um, the, the graduates well for, for when they started their corporate career. So they, they so right. in, a, in a way, in a way the uni had done quite a bit of work already in preparing us. And then they, they had other types of tests. They, they wanted to see whether I could work well within a team, whether I was a good communicator, whether, um, so they look at the academic results, obviously, if you're, failing all the time and not doing well they're, they're not they're not going to pick you up so academically i was good enough i wasn't okay br brilliant but i was okay so yeah it was competitive and they did they did like what the the course that that as a base of uh, preparation but also then they looked at my interpersonal skills and other okay. other other skills and ability to teamwork too they asked actually asked for examples of where was involved in teaming and you know what difficulties I faced with team members etc so they were it was a pretty pretty comprehensive interview actually it was already back then it was reason I think it was pretty tough did they have a lot of training for you like where I've been a manager and I've got new guys coming in there hasn't been a lot of time to do some training like it's been very hard to do the training because you've got to run the operations of the environment and you know the people usually come hired come in they would have to hit the ground running and, yeah, have to learn a little bit, but not like from ground up. Were they, did they accommodate trainees or graduates where they needed to be trained or? Uh, absolutely, absolutely, T-Mac. What, what happened was one of the selling points was actually the, the Telstra training campaign at, at that period. So they definitely said, look, if we're going to put you on IBM mainframe, for example, we will give you the necessary operating system training. Um, and they did. Like I ended up going like on a on a two week course shortly after my um, me wow. me joining. So they and then they followed up. There's like a follow up uh, level of training. So the initial one was like an introductory. Then then there would be advanced, and then you could over time, if you were still in the same area, you could actually then go through expert. So actually, the training then. When when I went through was was excellent, and it, it was a selling point to actually join uh, Telstra. So, so you could develop for, for the yourself. It was a absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That sounds very good, actually. I, I had another uh, question just in regards of the selling points of Telstra back then. You mentioned that um, you know you were interested in actually joining them. You know you liked what you heard about them as a company. So I'm just curious to hear what what was said about Telstra back then. Oh, highly. Highly regarded, um, it, probably because it had uh, a monopoly. There was no, you know, there was no Optus at that time when I started, um, 
and, and the likes of uh, TPG and all, all the like competition hadn't started. So it was pretty much still a, a, a government organisation. It was pre-privatisation. So right. just it just um, it, it was a, just a good ground. Oh, basically, graduates saw it and and had had heard that it was a good base to actually like. If you then, if you didn't want to stay with Telstra and you wanted to go to work for another organisation in, in in computing or IT, it actually gave you one of the best footings to then go to another organisation because of the training and the right. the, the the skills that they gave you along the way. So it had a good, at that time, in terms of um, IT, it, it had it had uh, very, very good uh, recognition as, as a customer service organisation. Well, I can't, I wasn't close so enough. So it was basically <laughs> the IT company, uh, the, uh, the IT company in Australia at the time, I suppose. If, uh, yeah, I, I reckon that's pretty safe to say, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, as, as far as the jobs were concerned, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think it was a big, big recruiting. They were big recruiters too, but but still selective. Uh, but yeah, it was. Um, the other options were oh, the, the banks and the accounting firms. They also, sorry, came to as I mentioned before. I don't think I mentioned the banks, but the banks came out as well. You had Commonwealth Bank, National Australia Bank. Mm. Um, so those were good industries to get into as well at the time, were they? They were. They definitely were. And I I just think Telstra, for me, just were a little bit, we're offering just a little bit more of diversity of IT um, in terms of what they had. What In terms of the, they had mainframe, mid-range, desktop, network applications. They, they had a bit of everything. So were some of the smaller, and because it was so big. Yeah, it it had the whole country connected at that time. So it sounds like it was quite a supportive environment, training, um, a lot of like a real employees kind of market. Whereas what I'm seeing these days, it's kind of the opposite. I think it's more of an employer's market. How have you seen the industry change through? So you've got like a 20 20 year roughly or more. 20 plus years. 20 plus yep. years experience in IT and so forth. How have you seen it change from being what you described, like very supportive and um, like a great career path? And what's your view on, on the industry now? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question, T-Mac. What, what happened, what I've observed over time, and, and Telstra did change too. Once it became Telstra Corporation, uh, I did notice that it, um, it changed the way it actually treated its its people. It, the onus, when I started and for a number of years after that, actually your your, your managers and your team leaders um, through your reporting structure, they actually had a, a training plan set out for you. So they, they mapped it out. They said, look, this is this is what we want you to do. Um, and 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 you know if you continue to stay in our in our team, this is this is what we offer. What's changed over time is that it's up to the individual to actually come up with what they want to to train in. You know, if if, if you want to be skilled in um, network technology, you, you've got to actually find the courses yourself and then get get permission, if you like, from your manager to to do it. And if it's aligned to the to the work area, there will be an opportunity to actually get that training approved. 
But if it's outside of um, the immediate function of your area, there's no hope. So, so it, it changed from the point of view is that even if you come up with training to improve yourself, there are still restrictions on what your, your immediate management will, will approve. Um, whereas in I the think, last sort of, sorry. Yep. Yeah, no, go on, go say, on. In the last few years, so at the start of your career, you're talking about the, like the 90s, very supportive, lots of training, lots of yep. um, good career path. Now with here, it sounds like it's kind of, it, it's more the, the locus of control is more on the individual and even then you may not get yep. the training. But then how do they reconcile yep, that? You need to, right. how can they, uh, if they say that if, and they don't, allow you to get the training, how do they expect you to do certain functions of, of the role? They'll, they'll give you the minimal training to perform the functions of the role. But if you wanted to extend yourself, just say, just say you were a team oh. leader and you, and you wanted to do management skills training or if you wanted to do um, management development, your, your immediate manager may not approve it because they'll say, well, it's not, not your current role. Um, they gotcha. may approve it if they if they allow training for career progression. Um, so yep. and and sometimes and I notice actually the budgets for training have been slashed more over years. That's that's the other thing that I that definitely I faced as I wanted more training. Yeah, corporations are trying to save money. So uh, yes. corporations are trying to save money wherever they can. Yeah. So I definitely face that. So if you if if they didn't have the excuse of um, look, it's not aligned to your function, they'll say, look, we we, we have to wait till next year because of uh, we've run out of uh, training budget this year. So th definitely, I noticed a big change in the amount of training investment. Uh, uh, I want to ask you questions about that one, Luigi. That, that actually brings up a very interesting point. Have you seen a shift of? Uh, I suppose the the um, capital um, is it taken out of training and put into a different resource, or um, you know, what do you think is happening there? Is it just that they're cutting on training, or um, are they focusing on something else instead? Uh, why why are they cutting on it? Why are they cutting it? Yeah, uh, overall, I've seen budgets definitely shrink on on both software development and um, capital investment and and training. I think so. So there's a there's a, an impact across the board that generally money is getting a lot tighter. But, but definitely when it comes to investment in people, uh, it seems as if uh, there's been a shift for the individual to actually fight a lot more for, for their rights to be trained or, or, or get, you know, get, get training on the job, uh, more training on the job, or actually then go out and do like an extra uni degree or an extra certificate off, off their own bat. Mm. Um, even, uh, even approved study leave, uh, I just noticed over time it would get, it would be less uh, encouraged and, and, and less approved. It just got harder. I, the, certainly the, what, what I, it seemed, seems weird, but what I observed was that the company definitely seemed to invest less in training in the individuals. They then tended to buy or try to get stuff, uh, those skills ready from, from the market at a, at a cheaper price even. So, right. So they'd either try to hire a new graduate or, or specialist and bring them in because they're already tra trained 
rather than sometimes investing in the people that, that mm. were already there. So it just it was it didn't happen across the board, but I did see examples of it. So Luigi, when you talk about like cheaper price, what what do you mean there? So rather rather than invest in Luigi to learn a new Microsoft uh, product, yeah, they wanted Luigi to keep doing. Uh, his operation management job. He didn't want him then to, to all of a sudden get necessarily an, another another skill. So that they'd bring in, and sometimes they'd bring in a contractor or, or a junior a junior permanent that was a specialist in that area. Uh, so it's just they they wanted um, in some, in some operational roles they just wanted to keep uh, stability of workforce, but not necessarily encourage. Uh, development and that people move on quickly. They, they... When you say cheaper, like I, that's yeah, I, I think you're right there. But when you say cheaper, are you saying that people coming in are cheaper? Like the newer people yeah, with the skills are that's already right. there. They, they would start, kind of... or, or yeah. some of the skills. Like they wouldn't have all all of the skills that, that that I had, for example. But they'd have specialist skills that I didn't have. Right. So they so they would buy them in to perform a certain new requirement to satisfy a new requirement um, and they would get it at a cheaper price because the um, uh, for example some some of the longer term resources that remained in the company they would over over the years if they got promoted they they'd, they'd get quite a, a reasonable salary it would be probably above average but if you bring in someone brand new you can start start at the base level or like a, yeah. a bottom of the range. So they, they would get certain functions at, uh, at a cheaper price. Late, so the cost of labour would, uh, would be less. So, they, so some, of, yeah. some of it became financial. Make, make, so makes sense. Of, instead of training the permanents, you're saying that they would tend to just park the permanents over there, don't worry about the training so much for the permanents, bring in a new a new resource, I guess, who's got the X skill that you're looking for and therefore he would just chug along and maybe he's getting paid less. Is that sort of what you think? Or because he's more a junior, but he's got that particular yeah. skill. Yeah, to, yeah, because they, they, they may have just come out of uni with this brand new yeah. Microsoft uh, tool set, whereas um, yeah. that, that uh, Telstra were looking at to implement at some stage, whereas... Uh, um, in, in some respects, uh, Telstra takes a long time to, to change, like, like an operating system, like from moving yeah. from Windows 7 to Windows 10. It takes, takes many years. So what, hap what happens is the pe people who are doing their day-to-day -day job are very proficient on, on Windows 7 platform and everything that works on that, but they may not know necessarily how things work under Windows 10. That's just an example. So they'll bring in yeah. a specialist um, who knows who knows what's going on. That's just a very simple example. There'd be more complex ones. That, sure. That so I, does that mean that to... the permanence? Sorry. Does that mean the permanence that uh, not getting the training over time become less valuable, therefore more likely to to be either managed out or made retrenched? Is that your view? That that can happen uh, if if. If uh, people don't take care to actually keep up 
their skills uh, and sometimes they would have to do it during work time but also out, outside of work hours to, to just keep themselves um, skilled up. It can, it can go down that path that they become uh, stagnant and, and, and the company can see them as a bit of, a bit of deadwood and would say, look, you know, the, mm. this person's not, not, not uh, keeping, not willing to keep uh, abreast w- with technology and change. Yeah. So it's really it's not the type of um, person but, that we want going forward. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it can people can end up going that, that way. Sure. Well, Luigi, um, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry, Tim, like, but uh, I've just got a follow-up question on that one. Um, just to, I guess, on the other end, um, what, what do you think employer? Um, what do you think employers value? Um, at the moment, most when when they're actually looking for candidates, so so what do you think will score you a role the easiest um, if you're looking in, let's say, Telstra world or uh, I don't know, NBN world or what, one of those industries at the moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good question, John. Uh, and I've been thinking about that quite a lot because you know I'm I'm looking for new employment myself at the moment. Uh, what I'm experiencing is that if you actually with their published selection criteria if if you miss if you're lacking anything there they're very quick to actually knock you out of um, the selection process so they they, they, i think um, tmac mentioned it a bit earlier that it, it is an employer's market right now and they're Definitely, like if you've got eight out of ten of the criteria, you're still not guaranteed to go to the next next step. So, so, think, so if we look at it for... that way, and, and sorry, I just um, would like to be a little bit more specific about the criteria. Um, I guess mm-hmm. I'm trying to see if there are any patterns that you've noticed. Um, you know what the employers are looking for out of skill, out of a skill set per se. Or uh, I'm not too sure. I mean, um, you know what you've noticed. Yes, some some of it is specific to technical criteria to their environment. For for example, if they if they have a program management tool called um, Alexandra, uh, like it's a, it's a program management tool. I, yeah. I, I don't think that's a proper name, but that's just an example. Like um, uh, Telstra had a program management tool called EPM, or and it runs on Clarity. So. So if you, if you had, for example, Clarity Skills, which is a program management tool, but you didn't have Alexandra Skills, they would knock you out and say that you know you, it's we need someone to hit the ground running and that knows that specific platform or that. Um, right. That, so there's that, no, no nothing specific that you can say. So it's pretty much whatever platform they need at the time. That's kind of the skill skill set they go for. Whatever they need in the you know next week, that's what they're going to go for. Then um, you don't see a pattern or something that's um, you know most looked for or, or or most I don't know maybe even disliked. I don't know um, any kind of a pattern. No, no, I can't. I can't see a pattern at the moment. Not mm, across the different okay. ones I've, I've been applying for. Yeah. The, the the only pattern is that you know if you don't meet meet the criteria pretty much a hundred percent you don't get ne- to next base so that, yeah. that's been consistent. seems to be pretty hard when there, when there are multiple criteria like that 
Oh, yeah, and, and I think they're being unrealistic in their expectations. Like uh, when in an earlier discussion also with TMAC, um, they basically, for the the dollars that they want to pay for some some of the roles where they, they've got their selection criteria, they, it looks as if it's genuinely underpaid. If, if everyone, if they hire someone that's got everything that they list down, they should be being paid... Um, Fifty percent more, basically. So that's that's, mm, that's my assessment okay. because it's well, that, that, yeah. uh, they, they're really are, they're really asking for uh, I think an unreasonable they they have an unrealistic expectation. So they, I think I think it's their market and they they'll they'll pick for for example for, if you're applying for a senior management role. Um, what will happen is you'll get general managers or, or group managers and sometimes directors applying for a senior manager role and uh, they'll, they'll end up getting the role because they're, they're getting a heap of the, the new organisation, the gaining organisation is getting a heap of skills mm. uh, for nothing because they, they, this person will come on board and they haven't had to train them or, or anything. You know, they're just going to come ready-made and even though they're overqualified, they these general managers will will take a pay cut and they'll they'll do it. One one that's one example I've been seeing with uh, LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn will tell you how many uh, directors are applying for a job or how many uh, senior senior managers are applying for jobs, uh, and and you can see it, 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 I've definitely seen that pattern, John. Yeah, that's very very interesting. Mm. So in uh, regards to your next sort of steps, like you said, you're, you're looking for work and you're looking for contract permanent. And if you had a choice, which one would you go for? Because there's pros and cons for both contract versus permanent roles. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably prefer a permanent role because of the uncertainty around contract roles. And, and sometimes contract role can be three months. And then when you've delivered... The outcome for under that contract, you know, it, it ends not not because you haven't, not because of your performance, is because you've actually delivered the outcome they they asked you to 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 perform, and then you've got to go back to the drawing board and, and start again. Um, yeah. So I, I've like contracting at the moment is the the way I've started to try to get my next uh, role with a view that hopefully it could become a permanent employment. Over time, like if they like uh, my skills, and then then a permanent opportunity comes up, I'd hope that they would say, "Look, you know, we can do a contractor conversion." Did you uh, did you notice um, if there's any big uh, pay differences, let's say, from working as a contractor compared to working as a permanent as a company? Um, you know, how does that work? Yeah, it it, it is definitely. A pay cut if you're looking at daily rate. So when when you're contracting, basically because it's you're uncertain of the amount of time that you know that you're going to be employed, yeah. your contractor rate is a little bit higher to to insulate you through the course of, of a year. So understandable. So basically, yeah. yeah. So basically, but, yeah. When you when you cut over to a permanent after a contractor, there there is there is a pay cut, but the, there is allegedly more security with a permanent role. 
And what um, would you say the ratio is? I mean, is it worth taking the pay cut over the security? Because I mean, as you said yourself, the security as a permanent these days, it's not doesn't seem very secure. It could change any moment depending on the skill set required. Yeah, true. It, it, I think these days it's it, it's changed a lot. Uh, it, probably ten years ago, the security of a permanent job was uh, a lot more certain than it is than it is today. But uh, there's still there's still value in being a permanent because there's other staff benefits that you get that you can't get as a contractor. Yeah. Um, if you're working for a bank, you'll get. I think you get a slightly better interest rate on your home loan if you've got a home loan. It'll be, you know, so there's... Yeah, there's if you other... work for the government, you get extra um, super, et cetera. That's right. That's, yeah. that's, that's right. So, so there, there are still benefits there. Even if it ends up being a short-term permanent role, uh, it's still probably you've got a level of um, continuity there. And, and generally... Generally, when you're a permanent staff member, they have to put you through like a career transition process. Um, when you're contracting, you, you know, you just finish. <laughs> Sometimes you get walked off the premises and then you've got to start doing your resume all by yourself. So, so when, when the company does exit you because of restructure or, or budget, you know, they, they have to reduce headcount. They have to manage the staff person out either through a redundancy, even... Um, and through career transition, so there's um, so there's still some some benefits there. Right. Yeah. Luigi, the I noticed that in a lot of job um, advertisements, they ask for diverse candidates. Do you think that will have an impact on uh, your, your job prospects moving forward? Yeah, I I, th I think it is getting harder for. If you like, like a, a middle-aged or, or a male to to get back into into the market, I, I I feel it. I don't have any data to support that. That's actually a, a fact. But uh, it's just um, sometimes when I match my skills to, and when I find out who actually ended up getting the job, uh, it. Uh, I ended up scratching my head, not understanding where, where, what, what was the differentiator, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, so it does. So that's probably the data that I have. That uh, that's, you know, it's it's not. Um, it's just what I've observed personally. But I think I think there is, there is a, a tone. There, um, um, unfortunately, but uh, but yeah, there's I don't have data to support it. It's just a bit of a gut feel. Um, now, now I did want to ask um, Luigi there just a question in regards to the industry, and um, you know, I mean, seeing what you've seen over the last uh, twenty years or so, would you recommend for others to actually get into that kind of industry, or you know, do, do you do you suggest that somebody maybe go into, I don't know banking avenues or I don't know, so, so it's a different kind of a, some different kind of industries where, where you can apply your IT knowledge. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, yeah, definitely most of my background has been telco IT. And in, in hindsight, 
would I have done it a bit differently? The, there were schools of thought um, that you should probably change your job with, with a different industry every five years or even le- uh, around every five years. So, for example, I, I, I should have probably packed up and left Astra and gone into banking, <laughs> into an accounting. Be- because what, what it may have changed now f- for me is that uh, I guess with my career would show that I, I'm not just one one dimensional, if you like, mainly. Right. Uh, even even though within Telstra I've done many many different jobs and performed different functions, uh, they, I think employers just see the one one thing, they, the theme, the common theme of Telstra there. So mm. yeah, it, it, I think the industry changing industry, but still doing IT um, as the as obviously your, your foundational skill is the way, um, I, yeah, in hindsight, I probably should have tried to to, to move around a, a bit more. It could be maybe every, every seven years or something like that, you know, go, go into banking and then go into insurance or go into, um, go into re, uh, retail, sure. like Coles yeah. Mine, David Jones. And then, then, then you really, your career history looks very, very, a lot more broad uh, and um, across multiple different industries. So I think in hindsight, I probably would have done it a bit differently now, not knowing what I know now. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend? Would you recommend other, you know, new trainees graduates to get into IT in this day and age? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely IT, definitely, absolutely. Still, still, IT is a an area that that will grow. Um, because you've you've always got the the areas of um, people needing to program robotics or, or any anything that needs to be automated. There's still a lot of um, programming, and then there's all the all the mobile apps that are still needing to be written. So there's still a lot of uh, IT work that happens as as technology improves. So, but yeah. but I think you need to. You need to go work for Amazon. You need to go work for Google. You need to go work for the, these different mobs um, mm. to, as as you go through your your IT career because you're going to pick up. Um, you're going to pick up. So I think it's still a good a good place to go. Uh, yeah. That that's still growing and changing. So you look you look at even if you. People have got Fitbits and uh, the fitness stuff and your smartwatches and stuff, you know. So that, that's all. There's all programming behind them. There's all IT. Absolutely, them, yeah. Not just the. So it's gonna. We're gonna. You know, we're already programming our fridges to tell us when there's not enough milk. You know, so that, <laughs> that's been. So it's gonna. It's still, a, I think, a fantastic area. It's challenging, mentally challenging. There's gonna be lots of work. Um, and but but yeah, I would have um, I had I had my time again, I, I would have gone down different uh, industries. Mm-hmm. That, that's really good advice, uh, uh, there, Luigi. I do like that. Uh, and you know, you can pick up a lot of different skills in different industries, and it, it does make you, as you said, a, a better, you know, a more well-rounded, I suppose, employee. Yeah, yeah. Creates mm-hmm. a different network too, because your net your network's so important. As, as you go through your career, uh, 
because they'll basically, if they know your ability, your skills and how you perform actually uh, in, in the environment, they'll say, they'll, they'll refer you to, to other areas or they'll give you a positive um, recommendation and say, yeah, look, look, Luigi's a good operator. He, he managed to do this, you know, X, Y and Z and he's a good per- people person, blah, blah, blah. And, and mm. it's in that network that network aspect, and if it's across multiple industries, it's even more powerful. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, you'd always assume that others are doing the same as well and, you know, changing industries too. You never know who you end up working with again. So, Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Interesting. Luigi, I was thinking, we'll wrap it up there, guys. Um, Thanks for your time, Luigi. Most... um, Great insights into working in the corporate world. John, thanks for your efforts. And uh, thanks for joining everyone on Real Conversations. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And yeah, we'll see you again next time. And and appreciate the opportunity to share some of my experience with you guys. All right? So thanks, Luigi. Thanks, Luigi.